Good morning. I hope what you heard right there is you're getting two sermons this morning. The one I had prepared and also this one. So settle in. We're going to be here a while. No. Um, so good to be here with you all. And before, uh, before I get started, I just want to say thank you. You all have loved us. You have prayed for us. You have cared for us. It's been a hard season for my family. And you all have done an amazing job. I'm sorry. I'm very thankful. Um, you have been generous in your prayers and your support for us. Um, you have made life as easy as you can, being many miles away. And is, it is a joy to be here this morning through tears. But I am very thankful. So thank you very much. <clears throat> Uh, turn in your Bibles, please, or uh, in your bulletin to the passage this morning, which is Revelation chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I want, I, I, want to, I want you to think about a time you're trying to describe something to someone that is impossible for them to comprehend or visually see unless they're there. Um, whether that's a place or a painting or, or a situation or a circumstance that's happened uh, to you, just try to imagine what it's like to grapple with the words. When I, was in, um, when I was in college, I got the opportunity to go on a missionary journey trip to, um, to South Africa. And if you know anything about South Africa, it's, it's really close, I'm sorry, to Cape Town in South Africa. And it's this beautiful city. It's a huge city, but it's, it's kind of crescent-shaped. It's right on the ocean. And uh, the elevation within, if I get the facts right, I think it's within five miles from the ocean. The elevation goes from sea level to three miles high. And of course, it's 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 southern, but it's right on the ocean, so it's somewhat tropical. And there are these mountains, and we take this cable car up to the top of the mountain, and it's called Tabletop, and it's flat on top, and uh, and you can wander around this whole thing. But then you turn and you look, and you see the entire city, millions of people, and you see the ocean, you see this gorgeous beach, you see this humongous city that fills your entire vision, and you see all this greenery and this wildlife that's coming up to the side of the mountain, and it is gorgeous. And I cannot adequately describe to you not only the emotion, but, but the depth of perception that comes from beholding an entire city filled with millions of people looking out over God's creation in this beautiful sight. You have to be there. John is doing something similar. Do you see that? He is painting us a picture. He is setting the scene of something so glorious he doesn't have the adequate words to describe it. Friends, if you are in Christ, this is for you. This is your hope. This is my hope. It is too beautiful to aptly describe with words. We will get to experience it someday. But let's try as we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit with John's words, to see this. This is the word of the Lord. This is Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, going to the end of the chapter. He said this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They will They shall not hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat for the Lamb. In the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, this is the Word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But not the word of the Lord. No, the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for reminding us of how the story ends. Your victory is assured. It will be completely and fully accomplished. And until that day, Lord, strengthen and encourage us. Use these words to inform our lives now and to look with longing eyes for the coming of our risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Do you ever, um, do you ever replay something in your mind or re-watch a movie or re-read a book after you know what's happened uh, in order to experience what you've gone through when you didn't know what was happening? That's a really great experience. You know, I... Personally, probably the, my favorite one is when I was asking Erin to marry me. I was nervous as can be. I was shaking in my boots. I was certain she was going to say yes, but the whole process, wondering what's going to happen, and replaying in that mind is that beautiful, beautiful um, reminder um, that all those worries and all those nerves I had really weren't worth worrying about because I knew she was going to say yes, and she did. And she still says yes. You know, I'm a sports guy, so there's a lot of sports analogies, so hold on. Um, you, you might be familiar with uh, the 1980 Olympic, U.S. men's Olympic hockey team, and they made a movie. I'm sure they've made several movies on it, but the one that I know and most familiar with is one called Miracle, which Disney has done. Um, and it's this great movie, and, and from the very beginning, problems, things are not going right, this isn't happening, these people have to get cut, this isn't going, they, they lose traumatically in all these different ways, and all these things happen, but you know, you know what's going to happen. If you've ever seen the movie, if you've seen Miracle the movie, they don't have the footage from the Olympics, but they have the announcers doing it, so you hear their reaction, and as you get to those final seconds, when this juggernaut of Russia, who hasn't lost in nearly two decades, to a college amalgamation of students beating professionals at their games, 
And you hear the countdown, 10, 9, and, and you hear him go wild in that famous line, do you believe in miracles? Yes, and everyone erupts. It's so beautiful. But you know, you're like, that's going to be hard to go through, but you know you can get through it if at the end you beat your biggest foe and win the gold medal. That's actually not the gold medal round, but there's, but it's this great, it's this great scene. All right, another sports one, another Olympic one, Greg Luganis, famous United States diver, 1988 Olympics. He's a professional diver, and he hits his head on the backboard, and he, they have to shut down the sport for a while to clean out the pool, and he wins the gold. Right? If you know how it's going to end, you can see the path it takes to get there and know you have the assurance of how this is going to end. Friends, in Jesus Christ, this is how this ends. Do you want to be in paradise? Do you want to know what it's like for your sorrow to be no more? For every wrong that has ever happened to you and because of you to be made right? Do you want to know a peace that is so deep and so certain that it is unshakable? This, this is where we're going because this is what victory in Jesus looks like. And this, I believe, is extraordinarily helpful for us as we look, how do we get through difficult times? That was actually the other sermon. How do we get through difficult times? Similar topics, but here's how. If we know how the story ends, that doesn't mean every point in our story is easy. No, in fact, it's often difficult. But throughout the ages, from generation to generation, Christians who have suffered, who have been hurting, who have felt like they have no hope, have turned here and reminded themselves of the ultimate victory that's won in Jesus Christ to get through the pain of what's happening now. And we can do this too. In fact, I would encourage us to, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter the difficulties that you face, the story ends good. It ends well. It ends with victory. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the who, we're going to look at the what, and the why. Or you could say the people, the praise, and the purpose. Two alliterations for the price of one. Wow, this is shaping up great. All right, so let's look at, uh, let's, let's, I want you to see what it means by the people. Because here's he's setting this picture. Who is... Who is here? Who, what, what's the setting? We're in heaven. We see the throne. We see the Lamb. And here are the people. Look in verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from tribes, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches. And I want you to, to scoot down here to verse 14. Because he's asking him the the, the uh, elders asking him, who are these people? And he answers right in verse 14, you know, and the elder responds, he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. That's really interesting. We actually don't have time to talk about what that great tribulation is. It's elsewhere in this book, but he says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, right? We've already, we just read that. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Who are the people? These are saved people. These are people we would not expect to be gathered together. Did you see this? From every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages. It's hard to have 
unity across such wide and diverse people. Hey, I don't know if you have you experienced this. What the strength of your unity? You know, if you meet someone, say you're up in the Twin Cities, you're meeting someone. And you're making small talk because you're a good Midwesterner and you do that. And you find out they're from Wisconsin. You go, oh, Wisconsin. Oh, those people, they don't know how to drive. What are, they, what are you doing here? Then you go to New York City because you're on vacation and you take a guy to tour. And you're talking and you're in line waiting to get on the elevator with someone else. And you go, oh, you're from Wisconsin. I'm from Minnesota. That's so great. Good Midwestern people, right? Yeah, all of a sudden you have this greater unity, right? Now you go uh, for a corporate retreat or something, and you're overseas somewhere, any country overseas, and you're over there, and they're like, okay, where's everyone from? Is anyone from the United States? You're like, oh, I'm from Minnesota. You're from New York? Oh, that's so great. I love New York, right? The strength of your unity makes a difference. There is something so strong that any person from anywhere, from any time, is united together. This is what I love about this faith. Is there is unity. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't even matter what you've done. If you are dipped in the robe, if your robe has been dipped in the blood of the Lamb, you are united with other people and together. Do you see what these people are doing? They're not looking at each other. They're looking at the throne and they're looking at the Lamb. Do you notice that almost every description, when it talks about the people and the magnitude and the beauty of that, is not about the people themselves, but what God has done for the people. Do you see that? We're going to look at that actually in a point to come. Not only what God, who God is, but what he's done. But do you see this? Their robes are dipped. Look in verse, this is especially 15, 16, and 17. He shelters them with their presence. They don't hunger. There's no more thirst. There's not this scorching sun or this heat that will make them faint. He is with them. He leads them. He guides them. He washes their tears. This is important. There are people whose robes are dipped in the blood of the Lamb and those who are not. And yes, we should talk about race. I know it's uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about it either. But we have to. It's here. And here's why we should talk about it. Because we need to confront our own dealings and our own faults and our own failures. Mine. And this denominations. And the churches. But here's why we should talk about it. Because God talks about it. Not only does God talk about it. Christianity has the best answer to anything that has to deal with race. I firmly believe that. Because if we are dipped in the if our robes are dipped in the blood of the lamb, there is salvation. And God is saving all people from all places everywhere. God is not prejudiced against one person or another. There are those he saves and there's those he doesn't. There are, there are those who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and there's those who don't. And as the church, we should be motivated to add to this multitude as God sees fit. It is our job to go with this message to any and everybody with this message. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Paul says this, again, talking about the people. What does it mean that these people, who they are? He says, and elsewhere, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, they are those who have put on the imperishable. They have put on Immortality. These are not people who have earned their way in. These are not people who deserve it. These are people who rest fully and completely and totally on the blood of Jesus Christ. In one of 
um, a great quote from from C.S. Lewis talking about in his book called The Great Divorce. Um, there's a lot of exchanges between those who are in heaven and those who are in hell, and it's it's a fictional book of of people in hell who are taking a bus ride into heaven. And what you get is these this really interesting interactions. And there's this one in particular where there's um, the person who's in hell meets a, someone he knows from his life while he was alive who's a murderer who's in heaven. And they're arguing back and forth, why are you here? I was this good and righteous person. What are you doing here? And, and this guy who's a murderer talks about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not based on his work of why he's there or his lack of work of what disqualifies him. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's this guy who's he's, he's trying to argue. He's saying, I only want what's mine. He says this, I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anyone's bleeding charity. And then the guy who's a murderer who's in heaven says this, then do at once. Ask for the bleeding charity. Everything here is for the asking and nothing can be bought. There's one way to get into this presence and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. That is good news for sinners like you and me. Not only do we see the who, the people, but we see the the what, we see this praise. Do you see this? This is really what he's doing. He's setting John is setting the stage and he's giving this description, this picture, and he's observing what's happening. And what's happening is worship. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of elements in what we do every single Sunday, what you do here every single Sunday, to what's happening here. People are gathered together, they're hearing, they're, they're going before the throne of God, and they're singing praises. There's a reason why. Because what we're doing here every Sunday is a picture and a foretaste of what we're going to do for eternity. Because no matter what your week is like, or no matter how you feel that day, God is always deserving of praise. There is none higher. Did you? I don't know if you noticed this. It can be really easy to skip over this, but nothing else is ever given praise in the book of Revelation besides God himself. In fact, elsewhere, John tries to bow down to one of the elders, and he says, no, 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 not me. Your worship is misdirected. It goes one place, and it goes to God alone. You see that? They're surrounded, this throne. They cry out in a loud voice in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And everything, even great and glorious and mighty creatures, verse 11, all the angels standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the Lord, before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and glory, sorry, and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Not only are they praising God, this is interesting, they're praising God for who He is. For who He is. God is deserving of praise simply for who He is. There is no other God and there is nothing else deserving our worship and our praise. Nothing. They worship Him for who He is, but that's not it. Because who, because of who God is, because of His character, what He has done is beautiful and wonderful and glorious for us. So they praise Him simply because of who He is, because He deserves it. And they praise Him for what He's done. Right, we talked about that a little bit already. Their robes are dipped. They've been saved. That's why they're there praising. And look at what He does. 
Let me back up and say this. Can you see, do you see the beautiful, seemingly contradictive statements here? The seemingly irreconcilable differences that come together beautifully in God. Do you see that? The mighty throne, power, majesty, might, judgment, and the Lamb. Slain, meek, mild, gentle. God, solely worthy of praise. All eyes are on Him. They're surrounding the throne and they're singing praises to Him. And as we read in that last verse, God Himself wipes away every tear. Do you see that? Do you see Jesus, right? The Lamb is, is Jesus, which we read about in chapter 5. Do you see this? Jesus is the Lamb. Do you see this in verse um, 17? Verse 17, The Lamb in their midst of, in, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. A, a, a Lamb who's a shepherd. He is the shepherd who became a Lamb to lead the sheep. He is the second person of the Trinity come incarnate in the flesh to live and dwell among the people to save them. Why is God worthy of worship? Because of who He is and because of what He's done. He's done glorious and great things. How does this help us in struggling times? Because we know victory is assured. Because God will not be thwarted. There is nothing that can ever jeopardize his, his victory. In, uh, in a eulogy for his mom, Jonathan Evans um, says a number of things. He's really wrestling with his mom passing away from cancer. and She's in a very long battle and, and he's doing a lot of praying. He's wrestling with God and, and in, in his prayer and his wrestling from God, he... He, um, he, he has this interaction with God. He's, he's talking with God, and, and God helps him understand. He says this. He says this in his eulogy for his mom. He said, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean I didn't answer your prayer anyway. Elsewhere, he, he goes on to say, your mom was either going to be healed or she was going to be healed. She's either going to be with family or she's going to be with family. Because as a Christian, his mother had this assurance that either she's healed in this lifetime or she's in glory with Jesus Christ. Is it not worthy of ultimate praise? So we have who, the what, now we have the, the why. We get the purpose. It's really great to know your purpose. It's actually very disorienting not to know your purpose. And here's Here's one of the beauties of knowing where the story ends because um, have, you ever, have you ever had a goal that you've set for yourself to lose a certain amount of weight, to run a mile a certain amount of time, to accomplish a certain task, and then you have to work backwards and say, what do I need to do in order to get there? This is where we're headed. We as a church, we as Christians, we as individuals, this is where we're going. What, do we, what does it take to get there? Here's our purpose. Here's where we're going. We're going to be doing this for eternity. And we're never going to grow tired of it. God is the focal point. Do you see this? This, this purpose is this great um, culmination. It's the people who are gathered together praising God for all eternity. That's a purpose. 
That's what John says here. Who is who is like this lamb? I, I want I want you to, to understand this: that Christianity has an utterly unique aspect to it that that is nowhere else in any philosophy or any other religion. It is the God who comes and suffers to end suffering. It is the sinless one who becomes a sin offering for us to pay for our sins. He is the God who is worshipped and honored and glorified, who comes, as Jesus says, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is, this is the God we worship. And He informs us of what we should do. And here's our job. All day, every day, good, bad, otherwise, God is always good and He's always victorious no matter what happens to us, through us, because of us, or in spite of us. He's always worthy of praise. And the elders and the angels and the creature and the great multitude beyond all compare, beyond being able to be counted, fall down in worship forever and ever. This is paradise. This is why you and I have been created. To give honor and glory to God. If that doesn't startle joy in you, I want you to examine what you have in Jesus Christ. To know your purpose. It's a really beautiful thing. A, a, a guy by the name of Hugh Latimer, Latimer um, who's a British clergyman, is being burned at the stake for being um, uh, really um, reformed, Presbyterian. He's being burned at the stake with a good friend of his uh, named Nicholas Ridley. And as they're being burned at the stake, they hear these words. Um, Vladimir calls out to his friend. He says, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light a can- such a candle that by God's grace in England, I trust it should never be put out. What is it like to face death with that kind of assurance and boldness and security? Because he knows his purpose. That life or in death, to give honor and glory and praise to God. Can I leave you with a picture as you leave today? I want, I want like John, this is highly inadequate, but I want, I want to try to paint a picture for you. I want you to imagine going before God's throne. All right, Hebrews 4. We go before the throne of grace. He says it twice. I want you to think about going before God's throne. And I want you to imagine having the face of God. The face of God on you. His eyes staring into yours. You are fully seen. You are fully known. You are fully loved. That as you delight in looking into the eyes of your Savior, you also experience His delight in you. And you have never felt as nourished or as fulfilled or as satisfied ever.
And in doing so, your mouth opens in grand and glorious and spontaneous praise. You cannot contain it. You cannot hold it. It's just naturally welling up inside of you. And as you do this, everyone around you is doing the exact same thing because you are all beholding the glory of God and it is the most wonderful and beautiful thing you can experience. The full merit of Jesus Christ on you and God's loving pleasure towards you. How can we make it through difficult and hard times? The story ends well. It ends good. We'll have a benediction, but I'm actually going to give you one now because I want you to think about this. Paul writes this. He says, Now to him who is able to do more abundantly, more abundantly than you can ask or think, to him, who can do more abundantly than you can ask or think according to the power at work in us. To Him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, may this strengthen us today, tomorrow, no matter what comes our way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for this message. Thank you for the fact that it is not by what we do. It's by what's already been done and accomplished for us. Thank you that you are a God who loves and saves your people. Help us to face the trials and tribulations and difficulties that come our way. Help us not to sweep them under the rug and say they don't matter. Help us not to be overwhelmed by them and be ultimately consumed by them. But give us the right perspective to know we have a Savior who has already accomplished and won the victory. Jesus, work in us. Holy Spirit, help us to know your presence always. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen.